Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Have you ever heard of the Integrity Syndicate? No, not a crime syndicate, not supervillains from the DC Universe, the Integrity Syndicate the online ministry of Theophilus Josiah, my guest today. Abandoned by his parents and raised in a California orphanage, Josiah met God in his youth, resulting in a new course for his life. Through a series of providential events, he went to college and became a mechanical engineer. His career included working on devices to aid hearts in their work to pump blood throughout the body. Now, he's bringing his analytic mind and passion to disseminate truth throughout the body of Christ via his 27 websites, YouTube channel, and his conversations on Discord. Here now is episode 435, Holistic Biblical Unitarian Christianity with Theophilus Josiah. Welcome, Josiah. So glad to have you today on Restitutio. Thanks for joining me. Sean, it's really a pleasure to be here with you. I had come on your show on YouTube and thought uh, it'd be nice to flip the script and interview you and ask you some questions. Uh, Some people maybe are familiar with you and your YouTube channel and your websites, and uh, maybe some aren't, and I thought this would be a good opportunity to get to know you a little bit. So let's begin in the beginning. And uh, let me ask you the question about your your spiritual background. Did you grow up in a Christian home? What was your journey of faith like initially? My parents were pretty reckless, sort of products of <laughs> the hippie movement. Uh, yeah, it was a bad situation. I ended up in foster care, had suffered from abuse. And so I, as a child, I was pretty bad state uh, psychologically, lots of emotional trauma. The caretakers that I had in this institution where I lived in Hollywood, it was like an orphanage with like uh, 48 kids. They took us to church and they taught us to pray and they taught us to, to memorize Bible verses. And some of the caretakers really helped us along in that aspect of things and seeking God for our healing. That's where I came in touch with God and his power and his love. And I was healed from a bunch of, I was pretty troubled. I was healed from that state of mind and uh, emotionally and spiritually, God brought me to a place where I could pray and reach out to him whenever I I had any struggles to bring me to a state of peace and a focus in my life. I went from being behind, you know, in school to um, getting great grades in high school, Uh, ended up going to college and getting a degree in engineering but started from behind (laughs) by the grace of god i um, overcame those circumstances and i'm in a good place now that's quite a story wow yeah that was a high level summary (laughs) uh it's really incredible now was it a a catholic orphanage or a uh, protestant or did it have an affiliation or just like it didn't have a religious affiliation it was the um the staff members, oh, okay. um, some of them were very strong believers. They took us to a Presbyterian church, my first Bible. 
1984 was an NIV translation that the First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood gave me. Some of the caretakers were much more, God was everything to them. And I mean, it was part of our routine to learn scriptures each week, and we would pray for each other. And it was pretty radical in that sense. I don't think any foster care sort of organization in this day and age would be so strong in allowing people to really uh, preach the gospel to abuse children <laughs> the way they used to. Now they'd probably just give us uh, a pill. Give us some medication, yeah. Some medication, and <laughs> it would be completely secular. But the gospel is what really brought me out of the darkness, even at, at a very young age. That's incredible, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that and being vulnerable because uh, that is quite a, uh, a starting point, and to see what God has done in you know your high school journey, and then uh, being able to get into college, and not just going for something that would be relatively easy, going for engineering, which is a very demanding program, and uh, and you went to school in California. Yeah, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Very good. I have a degree in engineering. Yeah, my volleyball coach and her husband in high school brought me in their house. So I was able to get out of being in like the Los Angeles area and uh, went to high school in Santa Barbara and uh, really did well, played three sports, graduated with a 3.87 GPA and got like eight, eight different scholarships to different colleges. Wow. And yeah. I uh, kind of overcame the adversity of my childhood. What really matters is, do I belong to the kingdom? Am I a child of God? Am I a son yeah. of God? Yeah. You know, there's different measures of success. The worldly success is one thing, but um, at my age now, having a, a wife and children for 20 years, I really think that the kingdom of God should be my priority. And so that's how I've sort of refocused things, not so much on focusing on maximizing my earning potential and my career as an engineer for 20 years, but focusing on the kingdom. Very good. Yeah, let's, we'll get into that in a, in a second here. Uh, let me first ask about your coming to believe that God is one, that the Father of Jesus is the only true God. Can you share with us the story of how you came to that realization? Yeah, so I'm a pretty analytical, contemplating person. You know, science and math and engineering is something I was good at and attuned to. Is there, is there a logical way to explain the Trinity that makes <laughs> sense? Not really. I haven't uh, seen one yet. One aspect that turned me from the Trinity was in college, I ended up getting involved with the Oneness Pentecostal Church. That experience didn't really help convince me that the oneness doctrine was true, but it did help convince me that the uh, Trinity was not true. Interesting. Did they talk about it a lot? Were, th were they really passionate about exposing the problems with the Trinity, or was it more of a side topic? Yeah, I learned something about like the history and the development of the, of the doctrine, just the disconnect on the scriptures versus the dogma of the Trinity. So that helped to bring me one step in the right direction. I think in, in some sense, their theology is a little bit more simplistic and the pneumatology, you know, teaching about the Holy Spirit, but the Christology is really messed up in, in oneness theology. There really is no human person, Jesus. In, institute or catalyze, you know, my, my desire to give my life to the service of God and to search out the truth. 
going into a oneness church, you know, there's a lot of um, people who you know who are Trinitarian. There's a lot of pushback because it's not conventional. It's not mainstream. It's not orthodox. And so I had the whole experience of sort of being ostracized and, and just being looked at as not a true believer by being part of a group that was not orthodox. So that, that kind of also gave me the first exposure of just being uh, treated as an outcast or a heretic or part of a cult. The, the same kind of things that Unitarians are accused of in a different way. But so, yeah, I got a sense, or at least I made the determination that I was going to pursue the truth no matter what the consequences are. And the same determination that had me leave sort of Orthodox Christianity is the same that led me into uh, biblical Unitarian understanding. Very good. So this was your college experience when you were with this oneness group? Yeah, yeah. And then sometime afterwards, you came to see the problems with identifying Jesus as the Father? Or did you understand that like all along? You were like, all right, I'm going to stay part of this church, but like, I don't agree on this point. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I graduated, so I moved out of town, and then I had the space to really okay. search things out without a lot of pressure from my church group to conform to uh, oneness theology. So yeah, I got Anthony Buzzard's book, The Doctrine of the Trinity, Christianity, Self-Inflicted Wound. That helped Were you me. attracted to that because it, it seemed to be critical of the Trinity? Or were you attracted because it presented a, a biblical Unitarian understanding? Yeah, I didn't even know it was biblical Unitarian when I got right, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I was, hear a lot. I knew it was people... anti-Trinitarian. I just right. needed... I needed a whole framework for understanding, or at least the rationale for, I know the Trinity is wrong, so what is right? And um, th then you start to realize things in terms of biblical Unitarian Christology, that Jesus is the Messiah, and uh, he's the human Messiah. And you found that book pretty convincing? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a scholarly book. It's Maybe it's a little higher level than an average sort of casual oh, yeah. reading of things. It's fairly difficult. Of yeah. things. Yeah, so there are some parts I really had to grapple with, but I think there's a, so much content in there that it really, it really gives you a sense that this is um, well defended from a, a scholarly position, that it's just not some speculation, but there's all sorts of historical and, from a scholarship perspective, attestation to a biblical Unitarian understanding, and that the, the Trinity is really an inflicted wound into Christianity. It's it's really a deviation and a corruption of the Christian faith. And so it gave that it gave me that whole framework for understanding that yes, this is a corruption with much more conviction that the doctrine of the Trinity is. And then you know I searched further and 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 kind of didn't want to consult too many books, but just study the Bible. And so I a couple years of really intense Bible study. And how long ago was this when you were going um, through this period? This was right out of school. So this was like 2001 through th three or four. Uh, and uh, In other words, like 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Pretty yeah, much. so this is a very settled position for you today. You know, this research was done a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. My doctrines are pretty much consistent for the last 20 years, pretty much. Oh, wow. And when you were going through the Bible and studying during that you said like a couple of years there. What was that like? Was it pretty confirming or confusing or what? Absolutely what confirming. Yeah. Very confirming. Yeah. 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 And it's it's difficult when you're blind and you don't 
you know, I saw Anthony Buzzard's book, but, you know, there's no real local option for a biblical Unitarian fellowship or anything like that. Okay. So let's talk about doctrine and your own ministry as we as we get into that. But uh, so many Christians today, they will say, oh, don't give me, you know, I don't care about theology. I don't care about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. Just give me practical Christian living. And you don't seem like that kind of guy at all. You seem like really engaged, really passionate about, you know, the nitty gritty of, you know, even studying Greek words or Hebrew words and history and all the theological options. Why are you so passionate about that? It matters because it's true. And if it's true, you're obligated to defend the truth. And if you want to build any kind of movement, have a revival that impacts a lot of people, you need to have a well-established foundation of truth. And being a biblical Unitarian, you're going to be attacked a thousand different ways because of your doctrine. And, and so it's it's more of a, a means to an end than the end itself. It's like if you want to have a vibrant uh, movement or revival of sincere believers, we're going to be attacked for, for not being orthodox in terms of our, our dogma and, and doctrine. So it's like... <laughs> It's like I have to go there, even though that's not, I'd rather just make music and worship and praise God and have a fellowship kind of, uh, you know, we all, we're all striving for community and for true, true fellowship because of tradition and peer pressure being so strong with established Christianity that's predominant. We're kind of forced into a corner of having to be able to, to defend ourselves with respect to doctrine. I really want to be multidimensional. I don't want to be just about doctrine, but I'm kind of forced to focus more on doctrine than the average Christian might want to or be compelled to just because of the situation we're in. We're still trying to achieve a reformation. The Protestant Reformation of the 16th century didn't go far enough. We're still trying to reform. So, we need to have a, a foundation of like what you're doing with Restitutio, get back to those reforms and then build the church, build um, a restored first century apostolic Christian church on that foundation. But the foundation needs to be firmly established first to build on it. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. It's, uh, you know, spending a few years now in the process of the websites that are focused on theology and Christology from a biblical Unitarian perspective, but once that foundation's built, then wanting to focus more on just building community, kind of a, a balanced, holistic approach at, at what it means to um, to be a believer. You mentioned music a minute ago. Are you a musician? What instruments do you play, and how does that play a role in your life? I've always loved music and um, have been into music. I'm a, somewhat of a keyboardist. I, have a guitar as well that I like to play around with. I did a project a few years ago producing electronic groove music. I have wanted to uh, do things that are musical <laughs> just because I, I love music so much. But I, I think that it's more of a priority to focus on doctrine now. Even though I, I enjoy music a lot, it, I think it's just more critical to, to focus on doctrine. Yeah, I really appreciate your perspective, you have a very broad perspective on the issue of pursuing truth, really. I think that's really commendable. And it seems like you have been moved 
to start a number of websites and to engage with others in the community of faith online, especially on your YouTube channel. And uh, I don't know how long you've been working on these websites, but the impression I get is that it's not been that long. How long have you been working on them, and, and what are your main websites that what are each of them for, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Some some of the content's been at work for 20 years, but um, in okay. terms of, of putting the websites up, it's um, just the last two and a half years, pretty much. Now there's 27 websites. The main one is integritysyndicate.com. 27 websites. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Man, I feel like such a loser right now. I've only got like four or five. 27. I'm sorry, go ahead. So the idea is that there's different elements. They're pretty much articles, just a website focused on a single article to where if you're doing apologetics, you can just point to that particular website. If it's like uh, understanding logos in the prologue of John or Philippians 2 or the concept of agency, it's just a, a clean way to just point at a single resource that really gets to the point on a particular topic, as well as other Christian fundamentals, like there's the essential gospel.faith, which is just the essential gospel message. There's one on prayer, prayerisnecessary.com. You know, there's others on other aspects of just the basic fundamentals of, of Christianity, but a, a number of them are on um, doctrine, theology, and Christology. There's trueunitarian.com, which is focused on more of, you know, biblical Unitarian elements and, and articles that are all combined together to paint a, a broader picture with a wide testimony of scripture of supporting the biblical Unitarian understanding. Uh, there's one on like um, modalism to address people from a oneness background. Other are just uh, more smaller websites, but the larger one is Integrity Syndicate, and that whole that has most of all the uh, content in one website. So why have all these different sites that are uh, focused on just one subject or one angle? What was your thinking there? Yeah, I mean, I was doing a lot of stuff on Discord where it's you're, you're getting into a discussion with different people from different backgrounds, and you want to post a hyperlink to something that really addresses that key argument. And uh, apologetics, you know, Trinitarians always bring bring the same arguments, the same mis misinterpretations of, of various passages, and so it's it's kind of an, um, a means to engage in apologetics to where you can just point to something really quickly that really is focused on that particular nuanced point of what you're contending on. I have a lot of friends on Discord that I hang out with in voice chat and interact with in terms of teaching, Bible teaching and stuff. I don't know much about it. Like, it's just a chatting service or how, how what is Discord? It has a, a lot of functionality, but at the core, you can get into chat rooms, text chats, um, voice chats, where you go into a room and you can have 10 or 100 people in the same room. There's different ways. There's uh, stage rooms where you can have people on stage and just an audience or just a, a, a room with different permissions. It's, it, it can get pretty complicated with all the different ways to set up the server in different rooms. But the idea is you have a server where you structure it exactly how you want to. People come into your server. Usually there's an audit process or like a, 
a vetting process that you can implement to see, make sure people obey the rules of the server. It's kind of virtual private. So you don't, the server is not public. It's still accessible. It's not like completely private. It's monitored. It's not like a, not a free speech platform. So are you going on other servers or people are coming on yours? People are coming on mine. I got like 250 people on the server. I brought people in the last couple of years. People have come from different backgrounds. So some oneness Trinitarians have become Unitarian through the server. I think the youth is a big area where biblical Unitarians could really make an impact. A lot of these people are coming, you know, they're searching the truth and they're at a time where they're still willing to, to change. Older people tend to get more stuck in their ways when it comes to doctrine, especially if they're Christian, identify as a part of a Christian group. But the youth, there's a, just a tremendous opportunity to build a community of biblical Unitarians. The idea is, is maybe someone who is uncomfortable with the Unitarian label, that they might read an article that really challenges their perception on a certain point that can lead to a broader discussion. Uh, so they're all linked. You know, the websites are, are, are cross-linked so that if someone reads an article, that would potentially lead them to the main website where they would have access to more of the articles as well. I don't know if it's if it's the greatest idea to have all these websites, but I... <laughs> it seems like an immense amount of work. <laughs> yeah, it costs something. So I'll see how it goes for a few years and maybe eventually just consolidate and to just a few websites. But at one point I wanted to have 40. I kind of mapped out like what each website would be. But I think maybe 30 is a pretty good number of what it would might end up being. I'd like to do one on um, refuting orthodoxy and Catholicism, which is a little different than just a Bible-based apologetic of biblical Unitarianism. With orthodoxy and Catholicism, you have to get into the history and demonstrating that the traditions are corrupted as opposed to just you know an apologetic of what the Bible says, because they believe tradition is more authoritative than actual scripture is. So you have to show them where their tradition went wrong, as opposed to what the scripture says. That's a, a little bit more of a challenge than just a typical apologetic with a, a Protestant. You have this added layer of uh, tradition that you're trying to refute. Yeah, the rules are somewhat different. They also want you to get into the, the metaphysics and philosophy of Trinitarian theologians. And that's a much more difficult thing to engage with. You know, a lot of Unitarians don't, uh, they're kind of anti-intellectual. They don't want to go into history, into the errors of theologians of the fourth through ninth centuries. So they just don't want to go there. But in order to really refute orthodoxy, you have to go there uh, to some degree. You have to have a basic understanding of philosophy and their whole methodology of constructing Trinitarian dogma, constructing the, the, the theology. The dogma is just basically affirmed by councils, but they use philosophy to try and make the dogma seem rational using philosophy. It's not like they deduce the dogma from the philosophy. It's, they start with dogma first, and then they contrive a philosophical system to support the dogma after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Anselm famously put it as uh, fide quorens intellectum, faith seeking understanding. And so the idea is like, all right, I already believe this because the church has the authority to define what is true. My 
task, and that was his uh, monologion and the proslogion about a thousand years ago. He was writing about this stuff, uh, and he said, my task is to figure out how it makes sense. So uh, he's not looking to build his faith or discover what the Scripture teaches, but just the Church defines it, now I want to understand it. It's just a very different kind of thing than a Protestant or certainly a Restorationist who's totally willing to like chuck out erroneous beliefs over each shoulder as they make their way through Scripture. Yeah, so that's an interesting—so you're saying you already developed that, or you're thinking about doing that one? Oh, that's one thing that's in process. In process. And how many articles do you think are on each of these different sites? Some of them are just one, some of them are five, some of them are eight or ten. The main one has over 50, I believe. On Integrity Syndicate. Integrity Syndicate, yeah. Well, let's talk about the name. Integrity Syndicate. What does that mean? Where did it come from? It's realizing that there's pockets of Unitarian believers everywhere, and most Unitarians probably go to a Trinitarian church. The idea is you have sort of a grassroots movement where you have people working together to basically promote the truth. And the idea of a syndicate is you have some core fundamentals that unite various Unitarians, like you can identify potentially as being part of the syndicate (laughs) because you adhere to these fundamentals. And so my focus with the website is not to go beyond the fundamentals, but to really just lay the groundwork of what's the core message of the gospel, what are the core expectations of believers, and then core foundation of a biblical Unitarian theology, Christology, and then just keep it at that level and not get overly into other areas of doctrine or teachings that uh, are more disputed. And the idea is that you can like build a network that sort of adheres to the basic uh, message and mission of, of the Integrity Syndicate. I'm not sure if that's ever really going to work, but at the very least, it could be a standard for what uh, first century apostolic Christianity is all about. And at least it's a combined work that incorporates all these elements together to provide a, a complete picture of what first century apostolic Christianity is, and you can take it or leave it. It may never really be a denominational sort of thing, but it could at least be a standard that people can reference. It's my best effort to to put something together that fills in all the gaps and gives people well the, the foundational truths that they need in their Christian walk. I looked up the the word syndicate. It says a group of individuals or organizations combined to promote some common interest. And uh, so you're uh, looking to to gather together and to pursue an overarching vision of Christianity that's Unitarian in nature, but that's not the only issue you're interested in. You're interested in a a full-orbed, you know, laying the foundation stones, maybe allowing there to be a lot of variety beyond that, right? Yeah, something you can build a community or church fellowship on. I'm just trying to be obedient to the, the mission that I have. I believe God is leading me to do and, and just be faithful with that. There's lots of <laughs> lots of ideas that I have that I'm pursuing. Ultimately, something's going to work. You know, as an engineer, I'm, I'll try one thing and it, you know, I'm okay if it fails fast, as long as it's making progress towards the end goal of really making a difference and an impact. At the core, I'm a reformer. I feel like I'm on a mission. It's kind of like mission impossible to bring Christendom back to its roots. 
I'm just trusting God that as I sow <laughs> into the ministry in terms of my, you know, pouring my, my life into it, that it's going to reap fruit. It's going to do good. It's going to bring people into the truth. And so what's next for you? You've been working so hard on all these articles and 27 websites, you know, maybe 30. You've been doing the YouTube streams, some of them five plus hours long. Is that more where you're heading as time goes on is focusing on the YouTube side or uh, do you have other ideas of what's next for you? Yeah, right now I'm in the YouTube phase of things where it's a lot of social media stuff. The five-hour live streams, that was kind of a phase I went through. I don't think I'm going to continue with uh, the five-hour live streams, although maybe a 24-7 live stream, you know, with a different format potentially. But um, yeah, I would just play episodes of the podcasts from whoever is willing to let me play reruns of the of their podcasts. Dale Tuggy said I could play his. Dustin Smith said I can play from the Biblical Unitarian podcast, you know, the UCA podcast with Mark Kane. So, I, and this, the idea is that there would just always be content coming out of it. Yeah, it almost be kind of a Biblical Unitarian radio station that would just interesting uh, just go on. Yeah, so I have the capability of doing that. Yeah, twenty four seven. It's not that hard. That's an idea. I'm not sure how much uh, people would be drawn to that in terms of it bringing in outsiders and new subscribers yeah. and new viewers. Well, I'd be happy to have you play out any Restitutio episodes on there as well. So awesome. consider access granted. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure most people would be happy to have you use their material. Great. My, my scheme worked to get, get your permission here on this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's recorded, so you. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> I think with YouTube, I'll, I'll start making, in terms of original content, I'll make shorter videos. I think I'll address more of uh, what, what's popular, what's trending. So if there's large Trinitarian apologists on YouTube that publish something that I want to sort of react to or refute, then I can be more a little bit more responsive and aggressive and, and um, addressing things that are trending. So that's something I might do. And then also kind of continue with developing the websites. I also want to write a book and I kind of have all the contents laid out for that. One of the projects in the near term is to just do a, a paper or an article on the Christology of Luke and Acts. And I think Luke and Acts is really core to map out like what the Christology is there, how, what the, what the, how the gospel is presented how God is presented, how Jesus is presented, who he is, and what did he accomplish. We have to understand that the books of the New Testament were circulated independently, and the whole purpose that the author of Luke wrote the gospel is so that the reader would have an accurate account. And so if there's anything deficient, then, well, Luke had really failed in his attempt to provide the complete sort of articulation of what Jesus accomplished and what the apostles taught and preached. And so to be a Trinitarian, you really have to affirm that Luke failed in his endeavor to give believers the, the full gospel message. That's a project I have in mind. And uh, that, Is that a paper or a book? I think well, I that would be like the, the first actual chapter of the book. I see. But the idea of the book is that you go book by book in the whole New Testament. While you're going through that, you're presenting the Christology of every book, and then oh. you're also these difficult passages like John 1, Hebrews 1, Philippians 2, 
you're clarifying the misconceptions around these passages as you address the various sections of the New Testament. Yeah, sounds like a New Testament theology. Or... Don't, don't steal my idea from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that one and run with it. No. <laughs> yeah, so uh, if anybody out there does write this book before you, may you not sell any copies or have any distribution. <laughs> it's Josiah's idea. So there you have it. Hey, that sounds like a great idea. It would be really fascinating to see how that all w- would be laid out you know, in such an organized way. Um, I think you as an engineer, having such an analytical mind, you know, you bring a lot to this movement. And uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think one of my strongest suits is looking at things and being innovative, like seeing things systematically with a certain level of abstraction and being able to sort of construct a framework for addressing things that may not be typical and so, like, I think I come at apologetics or uh, from a unique perspective, being able to be a little, yeah, systematic in the way that I address it. And so some people take, like, the overall micro approach of, like, okay, I'm going to write an article for every passage of Scripture. Like, yeah, I think that's what Brother Kale's done with the Trinity delusion. Other people, a more topical approach. And so I'd like to kind of maybe do a hybrid approach to where it's, the whole structure is basically on the, on the framework of the New Testament, but that it, within that context, there's more level of uh, a focus on things that really need a higher level of focus on to clarify certain things. So a lot of the content would be from my articles, but I would add additional chapters and to fill things out where there's gaps. So I would say half of the book is pretty much already laid out in terms of my articles online, but the other half would still pending. (laughs) Last big question for you here. If you could snap your fingers and change one thing about Unitarian Christians, what would it be? We would be more united. And instead of competing with each other, we would work together. I think we can really tackle the traditional strongholds if we were coordinated and organized and we put our resources together. It's nice to think of that, but, you know, there's always factions and schisms that we see even within the biblical Unitarian community. So it's hard to imagine that that would materialize, but at least enough Unitarians would work together. There could be a clear, reasonable alternative to the establishment, corrupted Christianity, as opposed to just um, a a false dichotomy or like just people not really seeing Biblical Unitarianism as an option because there's not, it's not big enough. You know, there's not as, it's not established in any real way that some people can take seriously. (laughs) And I I would say, you know, there's a lot of Unitarians out there and it's all about doctrine. If it appears that I'm all about doctrine, that's totally not what it's all about. This shouldn't be some intellectual game. We should have an active living faith. We should have the, the convictions of our faith. We shouldn't be just out there trying like some intellectual contest of who can, who's a better debater, uh, who can argue. Like we get into all these disputes about like the correct interpretation of John one, and that's really not as fundamental as is just a core biblical Unitarian understanding of theology and the basics of Christianity. And so there's always going to be disagreements about interpretation of different verses and abstractions. 
for some people, it seems like they can't get beyond that. Like they just have to be right. They have to prove themselves right. The whole goal is to bring people into the kingdom. And if your goal just becomes proving yourself right and demonstrating that you can win an argument, then that's the wrong motivation. So I, I would say to those people out there who it's it's just a game, you know, it's an intellectual chess match to, to like, oh, yeah, I have the right theology and I can prove myself right when I get in an argument. It's important to be concerned with what really matters and then things that aren't as consequential, not be so dogmatic, tolerate a little bit of difference of opinion when the difference of opinion is not as, as consequential as the fundamentals. Well, you can have all the right doctrine and still not be right with God. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we we really want to bring the gospel of the kingdom to a dark, corrupted world. In doing so, we need to bring people into the truth of who God is and who the Messiah is. And it's not just about head knowledge. It's about submitting to God and following after the model of Christ. So we need to have a higher standard. Amen. Amen. All right, Josiah, well, thanks so much for coming on Restitutio today, and uh, I look forward to seeing the Integrity Syndicate develop and what God is able to do with your ministry as you continue to devote so much time to putting out these articles, these websites, and really trying to reach people in a balanced way that's not just limited to one thing, but really looking at all the different major components of Christianity. So thanks for coming on today. It's my pleasure, Sean. Looking forward to working with you in the future. Much love to you. Bless your ministry as well. Well, that brings this interview to a close. Would love to hear your feedback on it. Come on over to Restitutio, find episode 435, Holistic Biblical Unitarian Christianity, and leave your comments there. To get in touch with Josiah, you can go to integritysyndicate.com where he also has a link to his Discord server, which is also called Integrity Syndicate at the bottom of the page. Or you can find him on YouTube. Just search for, once again, Integrity Syndicate, and you'll be able to access his YouTube channel where he has an interview with me commenting on Matt Slick's presentation of the Trinity on a recent channel that I was also on. And a lot of other interviews with noted individuals. Uh, It looks like he's got a recent interview uh, just from yesterday with with Chloe Walker, whose uh, video I posted on the Restitutio group. And so if you're curious about that, take a look at it. He's got Dale Tuggy on here. Uh, He's got these epic live streams where he goes into the nitty-gritty Uh, Two hours plus sometimes. He's got debates. He's got a lot on the YouTube channel that may interest you. So check it out, Integrity Syndicate, all around. You can find him that way. Now, I wanted to take an opportunity to mention that I'm kind of obsessed with the doctrine of sin right now. And this all started because I was asked to present a position on homartiology at the Theology Summit in Paducah a couple weeks ago, and this got me really into the books on the subject, and in particular, I came across this book by Thomas McCall called Against God and Nature, which I really recommend because it is so good at describing the different options. And so what I did was I 
worked up a little article on that, a little blog post for Restitutio. You may have seen it. Go take a look at it. If it's not on the homepage, you can find it under Articles and then click on Short Articles because it's not a full-length scholarly article. It's more of a short one. And you'll be able to locate it there. And what I did in this post was simply describe the different answers to the question, are we born guilty of Adam's sin? And this is an area of current research, and it's an area where where I've recently shifted my belief. I've always been a federalist in the sense that I believe that Christ represents us as our federal head and that Adam was the representative of humanity originally, and so we all are held guilty because of what Adam did because he is our representative. After looking at the various verses that people could use to support that view, I'm no longer convinced that that is the best way to think about it, and combining the fact that the Bible doesn't demand this position, and it's logically problematic, as I describe in this post, I'm moving towards a corruption-only view, which is the idea that We are physically and morally corrupted because of Adam and Eve's sin, but we are not bearing their guilt. We bear our own guilt for our own sins, and we certainly do bear the corruption that resulted from their fall, but not their guilt. And and I've been honestly surprised by by where the criticisms have come from. Uh, The criticisms are coming not from the people that hold to inherited guilt, which is a very standard Christian view, but instead the criticisms are coming from the side that wants to affirm total moral neutrality and innocence at birth, that we are not flawed because of what Adam has done. And, uh, you know, I find this position to be rather untenable, and I will get into that more in the next post. The problem with this subject is there there are four real different categories. Everybody wants to jump around on the different subjects, and it just takes me, it's just going to take me a little while to get to all of them. And in the end, you still may disagree with me, but at least you'll know what all the options are, which I think is really valuable, and most of us don't know what all the options are. And what are the main scriptures? What are the battleground texts on this subject? How does the logic work for the different positions? And where do you where do you stand? So stay t- so take a look at that. I've got four positions laid out there for you: realism, federalism, corruption only, and the no guilt, no corruption position. And there are two varieties of that: Pelagianism and the symbolic reading of the Eden narrative. And this is not going to be, at least at this time, a podcast. So it's it is just an article. You have to go to the website to read it, or it'll be sent to you in your email if you're subscribed to articles. I did want to read out a little uh, a couple of paragraphs that Kirby had written in on Facebook. He said, Sean, you're hoping to absolve God of any responsibility for how we are But however much separation is caused by us or the fall and whatever effect that has on us, that's entirely on God because he determined those things. If the end result is that we are so corrupt that we can't even make a rational choice for God, Calvinism, or that we can't get through life without sin, most of us, that is on God. No matter how you slice it and dice it, unless, of course, God was unaware of the consequences of the fall, and unable to fix the resulting human nature, some open theism proponents. 
Well, I think this is really an interesting problem to wrestle with. I may get to this in my next post. I may not. But really, the, it's the issue of culpability and, and whether or not God designed the fall. Did he set the parameters of the fall? And uh, to be honest, I think I can go either way on this right now. I believe that in the fall, there is grace because he could have just killed us. He could have just executed us that very day. Instead of declaring a death sentence on Adam and Eve, he could have just killed them. That would have been just and equitable. But instead, he let them live. He shows them grace. He clothes them. He doesn't abandon them. He sticks with them. And we don't really know what the subsequent relationship was like. We don't know if Adam and Eve repented later on after they thought about it. We don't know if they remained stubborn and resolute. We don't know how everything played out over time. So pretty much anything we say at this stage would be speculation as far as how that played out. Now, as far as if we are completely and totally depraved, if our, if our souls are so vitiated, to use a technical term, that we are not able to do any righteousness at all ever, that even the good we do is tainted and corrupt by impure and selfish motivations, then yes, I think you do have a real justice worry concerning why God would allow us to fall that far and why he wouldn't limit our depravity such that we would have a chance at having faith and being saved. But of course, in that system, those who hold to Calvinism will uh, agree with me here, I think, in that system, God has already decided who will be saved in eternity past anyhow. So it's kind of a moot point because he's going to save who he's going to save. And it's really a bigger justice worry than that, which is why are some people damned and other people are saved? And we don't really need to get into that because this is not uh, Calvinism is not our main topic. Now, the, uh, the other position, well, there, there are two other positions on corruption, at least, uh, that, and we'll get to those in a later blog post. So the Calvinist position is total depravity. You can't do anything good. You're dead in trespasses and sins, but like totally unable to even seek God or have faith in the gospel. And I, I don't hold to that position, but I can see why people do based on the way certain scriptures are worded. And if you look at it just a certain way, you can get that understanding out of it. But I think there are other verses that challenge it too much, but we'll get into that later. Then the second view is a total neutrality view. We are just like Eve in the garden, and we're just as able to do good as bad, to do right as wrong, to do righteousness as sin. And we are completely morally capable of living righteously without God, without any kind of grace from God, without any kind of intervention or salvation. We are completely and totally the commanders of our own destiny. And that is really the mere opposite of the total depravity view, um, the total innocence view. And on that view... You still have all kinds of issues, such as, uh, well, yeah, that's a nice theory, Sean, but look at the environment we live in. Look at the examples we have all around us. Look at the news. Look at the movies. Look at So the, the only way to really give someone a chance on that moral neutrality position is really to isolate them in some sort of a utopia or a commune 
where they're never exposed to sin because then they would have a, a shot at living righteously. But in the real world, the world that most of us live in, uh, it's just a matter of time until children are corrupted by the external world. Then there's a middle position, and that's where I find myself, and that is the idea that uh, we are depraved, but we're not totally depraved. We are flawed, both physically in that we are susceptible to injury, sickness, aging, and death. We are susceptible to those things. That is part of our human corrupted nature. Our original nature, I believe, was either impervious to those things or because of our ability to partake of the tree of life or because of God's direct involvement, whatever, those were not an issue in the original situation. So I I don't want to get too specific on that, but I will say this, that in addition to those physical abnormalities or flaws or problems that we face, we have moral abnormalities, flaws, or problems in that I find sin delicious. I don't see the same sort of intensity that we see for found, for example, in Romans 7, where the good that I want to do I can't do, and the bad that I don't want to do I do, and all this struggle and this, this sort of like uh, intensity in the Garden of Eden. Eve seems quite capable to go either way. She's considering it. She's, she's not overwhelmed by sin. She trusts the serpent over God, and that was her sin. And so I, I believe that our moral will is more flawed than Adam and Eve's, and that this is what I mean by corrupted nature. Now, I wouldn't use the term sin nature, and I, I, I used to use that term, but there are some real problems w- with that. So I would say a sinful human nature. But at the same time, like I said, this is a mediated position. This is not total depravity. I do believe we can do good. We can seek God. We can have faith in the gospel. We can perform acts of righteousness, even without God's involvement in our lives, even not being saved. And yet, because sin is delicious to us, because we are bent towards sin, it's it's not something that forces us to sin, but it is something that results in the inevitability of, of sin for each and every one of us, even at a very young age. But then you might say, well, how is this fair? Well, because God has made a way of escape, because God has had grace on the human race. God has acted decisively throughout human history to redeem, to restore, to heal, to cleanse, to regenerate, to indwell us so that we can live for him and live in such a way that pleases him. And that's taking us a little too far afield because our future questions are, are we born with a morally corrupted nature, which I was just commenting on. But then after that, are non-Christians capable of saving faith? And then after that, are Christians capable of sinlessness? So, hey, this is a fascinating, deep, and complicated subject, and I really appreciate everybody engaging to the degree that you have. Uh, But I do also ask for patience because it's going to take a little while to unpack it, and I, I have no doubt that there will be lots of lively discussion along the way. Kirby also goes on to propose a different solution. He says, God made us the way we are, sinners, but not all sins condemn humans to eternal death, only those which are classified as wicked or evil, which means the ones the people do who are so selfish so as to harm others to get what they want. They are, after all, the only ones we see in Scripture who are judged. I want to come against that a little bit, Kirby, because I do see in 
various vice passages, for example, Galatians 5, verse 19 through through 21, and Ephesians 5, 3 through 6, that there are plenty of sins mentioned here, such as idolatry, sorcery, impurity, sensuality, that don't necessarily cause harm to others. They could just cause harm to yourself, or they could just offend God, or crude joking, or foolish talk. There are lots of different sins listed here that don't fit your the limitations that you laid out. And so I would say that the wages of sin is death, and I, I do believe that that is a universal. It's not just sins like murder or sins like rape or child molestation, but it's all sin earns us death. Now, as far as how this could possibly be, and Kirby's earlier point about you know God being responsible for how fallen we are. I believe to some degree God is responsible for how fallen we are because he can catch us at any point along the way and set up the economy of salvation however he sees fit or however it makes sense. I'm not sure what constraints there might be being a God, dealing with free moral agents. Uh, I'm sure it's complicated. But I will say this, that when it comes to light, if I choose to walk away from a light. Let's say there's a light in a parking lot, and it's the only light around, and I choose to walk away from the light, and there are no other lights in this village. So I walk away from this one light in the village. Guess what? I'm in darkness. Am I going to blame the light? No, the light did not cause me to leave, and the light had no flaw in itself. It's still shining. I just chose to leave it. And I believe there's got to be some sort of, and this is speculation, but there's got to be some sort of natural, maybe that's the word, natural consequence for rebelling against God. That is just how it has to be as a result of separation. Our first parents separated themselves and the human race from God in a very radical and devastating way. And part of that is our mortality. And part of that is this tendency towards what God says is wrong, this innate rebelliousness or confusion, moral confusion at the very least, that lands us many times in committing sin. And so uh, maybe that helps a little bit. Uh, This is certainly not my final word on this, but uh, just some thoughts there. Thanks everybody for listening in to the end here. Sorry to ramble on uh, so long. Go check out Theophilus, Josiah. Go check out Integrity Syndicate and Josiah's work. He's a great guy. And if you're in Idaho, look him up because uh, he's there in Boise, and I'm sure he would be happy to have some fellowship and some community if anyone would reach out. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that online at restitutio.org. We'll see you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.